0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. We are in the middle of this series on prayer called Look Up Child, and it's prayers from the Father's heart. And what we've been doing is we've been taking the Lord's Prayer, and we've been changing the perspective a little bit. Like, the Lord's Prayer is a prayer that we've prayed It's a prayer that we know, but have we ever taken it and seen how the Lord intended for us to hear it from the heart of the Father to us? And so what we've been doing is we've been going through the prayer and we've been hearing God's heart for us, God's heart for us in his love for us, God's heart for his kingdom to come true in us, God's heart for his provision to be made known among us, for his forgiveness to be known and lived into, to be guided by him and to be delivered from evil through him. This is the prayers in the hearts of the Father. And so we're going to read through the Lord's Prayer this morning, and I want you to just kind of imagine hearing it from the Father's perspective, that these are prayers that he has for you. They're not just prayers for you to pray to him, but they're also prayers that he is praying down to you. And so let's stand and let's read the Lord's Prayer together this morning. From Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray like this, and he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Dear God, we thank you for this day and God, we thank you for this prayer that you've given us that we can pray into, but that we can also pause and hear you pray back to us for us to know your love, for us to know your grace, for us to know your forgiveness and your provision and your guidance and deliverance in our lives, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you are good, and we thank you that you're a God who is near and who wants to talk and communicate and be present to us. God, we thank you that you're near now, and God, I pray that you transform our hearts and minds this morning. In your name we pray, amen. You guys can have a seat. So we've been going through this prayer and we've talked about the Father's heart. We talked about the Father's kingdom. We spent a Sunday talking about the value of human life and how the kingdom of God values human life and how we are to represent the kingdom of God lived among us by valuing human life here on earth. We spent last week talking about provision and last week we had kind of a, a uh, family meeting also. It was kind of the state of the church. Um, Kevin came up and shared where we're at financially, and the reality is that we're, we're kind of facing some financial difficulties going into the new year. Um, going into the new year, <laughs> we're looking at kind of some monthly deficits, and that if that deficit continues, we'll probably have to make some cuts to our staff team, and that's, those are cuts that we don't want to make, but we want to make you aware of that. Um, because we believe that our God is generous and that our God provides and that our God is going to see our need and that our God is going to provide. And one of the things that I want to point you to is that I don't know if you guys have gotten the letter, but there is a letter that has gone out um, with your giving statements um, that kind of explains the state of the church and the financial realities that we're facing into the future. So if you've not gotten that letter and if you've not gotten your giving statement for your taxes, uh, see Kevin Fountain. Kevin, you want to throw up your hand right here? So Kevin's got giving statements, and he's got letters for you kind of describing the state of the church. And the thing is that we're trusting God to just grow us in generosity, to grow us in grace and giving, um, and that he would continue to provide for us into this 2019 year. And what was cool is that we had a guy visit last week who was incredibly encouraged by being present with us, and by being present to that conversation. He was a visitor from the Philippines, and he left us a note. He left us this huge note describing how encouraged he was and how he experienced God, and he he left us with this encouragement from the verses of Romans 12 through the message. And it says this, and I want us to be encouraged by this too, because it spoke to my heart. He says, in this season, don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflamed. Be alert servants of the master. Be cheerfully expectant. Do not quit in hard times, but pray all the harder. Help the needy and be inventive in hospitality. What a good word for us, amen. What a good word, and if you're encouraged by that, and if you're encouraged by the stories of what's happening in Senegal, like to take our team to Senegal required money. It required provision, and it came from you guys, and it's because of you guys that our team is there, and it's because of our team being there because God has provided through you that we're able to pray for this couple, and by God's grace, God, allow them to conceive and have this child emmanuel you see how like all of this connected that god's provision isn't just for us to store up and keep but it's to give it away and that's our heart, and that's our intent is that we'd be on mission with the finances and everything that we do here at damascus road church and so that's just a little bit of a recap of last week on provision and that we're trusting god to provide and we want to invite you guys to pray into that and to seek god to provide for us into this next year all right so that was last week around provision. If you've got questions around any of that, um, feel free to talk to Kevin. He'd love to talk numbers with you to give you a little bit more details around that. Um, but yeah, we're excited for what God has for us this next year as we follow Jesus, share life, and love our neighbor. Um, and so this week, this week we've come to the point of the prayer where we pray, Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive debtors. And as I prepared for this message, the Holy Spirit challenged me in a way that I really wasn't expecting. The Holy Spirit spoke to me because I was writing my message, and I had my message written, and I was, I was feeling good with it, and the Holy Spirit was like, no, 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 I want to, I want to change your trajectory a little bit. And I was like, all right, let's, let's hear, and let's listen. And so he challenged me, and he said this to me. He said, do you take me at my word? I was like, what do you mean do I take you at your word? He's like, do you take me at my word? He's like, when I was on the cross, when Jesus was on the cross, and he breathed his last breath, he exclaimed, it is finished for all time, past, present, future. It is done. It has been completed, and I have done it. And Jesus' final breath, where he succumbs to death, he proclaims victory over it. And three days later, he lives into it. And Jesus is saying, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to me, he's like, do you take my word for it? Do you believe that it is finished in your life? And that it is done, and that I have done it. He then challenged me to Romans, and he says, do you take me at my word that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? That there is no condemnation. And I began to wonder, what would it look like If we as a church began to take God at his word, if we began to take God at his word that it is finished and that there's no condemnation, what would it look like if we were to step away and throw off our fear of being accepted by God, right? What would it look like if we throw off our shame because we believe that God is a God who constantly wants to punish us, but the reality is that that is not who our God is, but we believe this lie, and the enemy has taken our guilt, and he's twisted it, and he's filled us with shame. And it's in this place of shame where we hear condemnation. And where there's condemnation, there's accusation. And where there's accusation and condemnation, then there's punishment that ought to be deserved that follows. But that is not the heart of our Father. That's not the heart of our Father at all. Instead, our Father wants to take away our shame and our guilt, and he wants to give us freedom and new life. But the thing is, is that if we're taking God at his word, we also have to take God at his word that he has sent the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sins. And that's uncomfortable. But the Holy Spirit comes and he convicts us of our sins, and he testifies our guilt before the holy and righteous and blameless Father. And this is where it starts to get scary because you and I, we don't like to be guilty because for so long we have, a, a, we have taken the idea of guilt and shame and we have smashed them together. And we've said, if I'm guilty, then I'm also guilty and need to bear shame. And if I'm full of shame, then I'm also full of guilt. And this is not, so, this is not how the Father wanted things to be because the Bible also says that there are two types of sorrow that we can enter into. When we incur our guilt, when we find ourselves guilty before God, what happens is that we can partner like the prophet Isaiah, and we can look at the Father and say, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And the Father can meet us there, and we can begin to know his forgiveness and his freedom that he offers us. In the Bible, they call this godly sorrow. And it's in this place where we're confronted with our guilt where we become godly sorrow, where we are filled with sorrow, true sorrow for the crimes that we've committed and the sins that we've committed against God. And that leads us to a place of repentance and new life. Or we can enter into a place that the Bible calls worldly sorrow. And that worldly sorrow is shame. And the Bible says that that type of sorrow leads to death. And the reality is is that for anyone who's carrying their shame and their guilt and their sin with them this morning, you are incredibly aware of that death that's living inside of you because you carry it with you everywhere you go. You carry that death with you into your job, into your relationships, into your family, into everything that you do, and it's killing you, and it's preventing you from experiencing the life that Jesus spoke over you when he was on the cross and he said, It is finished. He wants you to live into that this morning. He wants you to know this morning that it is finished, that it is done, and that he has done it for you. And the reality is that it's preventing you from experiencing the love and grace and forgiveness of the Father. And it's also preventing you from giving it to those who are around you. And so this morning, I want to take Jesus at his word. I want us to start taking him at his word that... Wherever you are today, whatever shame, whatever guilt, whatever sin that you carry, that you would know that it is finished. And that you'd be able to leave that at the feet of Jesus. And that you'd be able to walk out of that door free today because of the forgiveness and grace that God gives us. It's my prayer that we would enter into this section of the Lord's Prayer where we would pray, Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us, not with doubt. I don't know about you, but I get to this part of the Lord's Prayer and there's some times where I pray and I'm like, Father, forgive me, question mark. Father, I hope that you cancel my bad deeds today, please. And maybe I'll cancel someone else, Amen. You know, like, we approach it from this place of, like, caution and wonder of, like, will God really do it? Can God really do it? And when we do that, we don't take him at his word. We don't take him at his word that it's finished, that it's done, and that there's no condemnation. And my prayer for us this morning is that we would be able to walk in full confidence and understanding of the forgiveness that he has already granted us and that we might live from a place of being forgiven. Instead of a place where we carry the burden and death of shame. And so, to be able to do this, we gotta begin to take God at His word. And then we also need to unpack what forgiveness is. Because I think we live in a world where we talk about forgiveness a lot, and there's a lot of kind of false information around forgiveness that we carry and that we try and live out, and it's unsatisfactory to us. It's unsatisfactory. To the ways that we live, and we find it incredibly shallow and disappointing. And so I want to look at the truths around forgiveness and what Jesus is really offering us when he says that we are forgiven and that it is finished. So the first thing about forgiveness that we need to know is that forgiveness is supernatural. It is not something that we can muster up on our own strength and our own will and our own desire. If you take anyone in our human flesh and you hit them their natural reaction is that they want to hit you back and harder, right? I mean, that's nature. It's like, I'm hurt, you're hurt, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I hurt, you hurt, we all hurt, we're going to get even. That's the motto of our world, and that's the way that we kind of carnally live. And we live so much in this way that when we do hurt someone and we know that we've offended somebody, an offense doesn't come back. We find ourselves like looking over our shoulder, hoping that we don't get caught with like a right hook, right? Like hoping that it doesn't come from nowhere. And then we just like keep walking. We're like, well, I know I hurt this person. Like when's it coming? When's it coming? And then eventually maybe it just doesn't come. And so we live in this world where payment has to be remade that we actually start to punish ourselves. And we begin to say, I know I caused this hurt and I know I caused this pain. And so even though that person hasn't come and demanded retribution from it, I will make retribution payments of myself and I will punish myself and I will carry guilt and shame with me everywhere I go. And the reality is that our father never intended us to live this way. Our Father never intended us for us to live in this way where it's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and we go around punishing ourselves so that we might atone for our own sins. That was never in the Father's plan and the Father's imagination. Instead, the Father looks at us with love and with grace, and he sends his son Jesus to us, one, so that we might be forgiven. There is no forgiveness without Jesus dying on the cross and being rose again. There just isn't. It just becomes a human construct. Forgiveness is granted and given by God. And to God, then sends His Holy Spirit so that we can receive the Father's forgiveness and then give it out to others. I think forgiveness is so foreign and so outside of our nature that we need the Holy Spirit to even begin to understand and recognize and receive the Father's forgiveness that He has for us. And that is by the Spirit that we're able to be empowered and go and give true forgiveness. To other people. Forgiveness is supernatural and we have access to our supernatural father who gives us the supernatural ability to go and bless the world because we need forgiveness. We need forgiveness. The world needs more forgiveness. I need more forgiveness and it's because we're all guilty. But there doesn't have to be shame attached to that. Alright, so the next question around forgiveness is what is it what is forgiveness? And I would define forgiveness in this way that forgiveness is the cancellation and the absorption of debt. That is the cancellation and it is the absorption of debt. And the reason why we use the word debt is because that's the word that's used in the Greek. It's not more complicated than that. It's debt. All right? The word for debt in Greek is debt. And that's what's used. And the reality is that when someone hurts us or whenever somebody is, uh, takes from us, there is a debt that's incurred when we're hurt. And when that happens, we're left with a choice, two choices. We can either choose to enter into forgiveness, where we cancel that debt and absorb it, or we can demand retribution. And the reality is, is that the reason why we get hurt is because you and I have made ourselves vulnerable. We've chosen to be present to others. We've chosen to love, and really to love others is to be vulnerable to being hurt. And if we're open to being hurt, to being taken advantage of, we also need to be open to the idea of canceling and absorbing that hurt when in our vulnerability we are taken advantage of and we are hurt. The reality, though, is that for some of us, we've grown tired of being vulnerable. We've grown tired of being hurt. We've grown tired of being taken advantage of. And we have not been able to actually access true forgiveness and cancel and absorb the debts of others. And instead, our hearts hearts have become hardened. And we live in a place of personal protection. And C.S. Lewis calls that place hell. C.S. Lewis has this quote around love and vulnerability and forgiveness, and this is what he says. He says around debt and around investment, he says this. He says, there's no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable, to love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung, possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully around hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, in that safe, that's dark and motionless and airless, airless, it will change. No, your heart will not be broken, but it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, is damnation. And the only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. And so if we can, before we can even get to this place of forgiving others, we first have to love. We first have to know what it is to love and to be vulnerable and to make ourselves vulnerable and incur debt. It's then from that place that we can get to the place of forgiving others, of canceling debt and absorbing it. And I want to make a note about forgiveness and the cancellation of debt. Forgiveness is not just the cancellation of debt. It also requires the absorption of it. But a lot of times we think that forgiveness is just the cancellation of debt, and it's because it's the model that we've been given from this world. The model that the world has given us is forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. Just cancel the debt. Acknowledge the debt, cancel the debt, move on. But I don't know about you, but I have found that model of forgiveness incredibly unsatisfactory in my life. It falls incredibly short. And the reality is is that this model of forgive and forget really isn't forgiveness, but rather it's excuse. And it is completely different to excuse somebody than what it is to forgive somebody. And we live in a world where we seek excuses from other people instead of genuine forgiveness. To excuse someone, somewhere, at some point, no matter what the offense is, if you're going to excuse someone, the words, it was okay" has to come out of your mouth at some point. At some point, somebody has wronged you. Someone has offended you. If you're going to excuse them, at some point, the words, it's okay," it's fine, we're good, come out of your mouth, even if you're not even if there's pain that needs to be addressed, even if there's hurt that needs to be addressed. The problem with the forgive and the forget model is that you end up dismissing the real pain, the real suffering, and the real debt that you have taken on because you made yourself vulnerable and they did not care well for you and their vulnerability. And in turn, when you excuse somebody instead of forgive somebody, You don't actually forgive them. You don't actually take care of it. What ends up happening is that you just end up burying it. And that's the first step of our hearts becoming hard, like C.S. Lewis just mentioned. The second problem with the forgive and forget model is that not only do you you just excuse the behavior of others, And when you excuse the behavior of others, you never get the chance to confront the behavior and say that it was wrong. You never get to confront the behavior and say, what you did was wrong and what you did hurt. When you just say the words, you know what, it was okay. They're like, all right, it was okay, and we move on. And you never get to own the pain that you experienced and the hurt that you experienced. And you never get to name that their behavior was inappropriate and unacceptable and objectively wrong with this model, you also rob them of the opportunity of knowing that their behavior was wrong so that they could enter into a place of guilt and repentance and transformation, okay? If I continually wrong you and you're just like, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, guess what, we enter into this cycle where I just keep doing this hurtful thing to you and you're just like, it's okay, we just keep excusing it and I just live never knowing that what I'm doing is wrong, and even though you're on the other end of it and you're just getting hurt and being hurt and being hurt, you're sitting there passively and you're like, how could this person not know the pain that they're causing me? And the reality is that people are dense and we don't always know. And we, when we forgive and we forget and when we excuse, we never have the opportunity to confront the pain and the suffering and the hurt and the wrong that was incurred if all we ever did was excuse one another of the hurtful things we did, we would never have motivation to change. Because it's okay, it's okay. And the dark reality is, inside of you and me, we don't really want forgiveness. We want to be excused, we want it. Our flesh craves excuse. Because if we are excused, then there's no pain. If we're excused, then there's no guilt. If we're excused, there's no debt. There's no need to be confronted. There's no need to be transformed. There's no need to change. And I think in our heart of hearts, what we really want the gospel to be, and some days we treat the gospel as this, is that the gospel, and we think, is that Jesus died and excused all of our poor behavior. Amen. Therefore, you're free to continue in your attempts to be a decent person. I think at the end of the day, what we really hope the gospel to be is that Jesus would just excuse it. He'd just say, it's all right, there's no problem, we're good. But that's not forgiveness. And thank God, that's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus died for the forgiveness of sins, which means that not only does he cancel it, but he also absorbs it. And this is why forgiveness is the cancellation of debt and the absorption of debt. If you don't absorb it, you're just left with excuse. And you better believe that if you're about to absorb someone's debt, that that debt is gonna be named, that it's gonna be measured, the cost of that is gonna be measured. And it will be absorbed, and when you absorb it, it will be painful. It will be incredibly painful because in the moment that you choose to forgive somebody, you're taking a debt that is real and you are choosing to say that I'm not going to hold you responsible for that and I will take that debt on that you owe, that you rightfully owe, that you have rightfully wronged and I will take it on as mine and I will absorb it and I will own it instead. And it's going to be painful and it's going to hurt somewhere. We got this idea that forgiveness wasn't supposed to hurt that it's not supposed to cost us anything. And I guess when you live in the forgive, forget model, like there isn't much cost to be absorbed. There isn't much pain to be had. But real forgiveness, where we look at the real debt and we say, I'm going to take that on, it hurts. And it's painful. And it costs us. When we look at Jesus, when he forgives us, it costs him the excruciating pain of being executed on the cross, and it costs him his life. This is what Jesus went through so that we could be forgiven. Forgiveness hurts, and it's costly. But on the other end of it, there is freedom, there is healing, there is transformation, and there's new life. I mean, this is what you see played out on the cross. Jesus is suffering on the cross. He dies for our sins. He's put into a tomb. That is hard stuff. But three days later, he comes breaking forth a new life, healed, transformed, and he's giving new life everywhere that he follows. This is the story and the image of forgiveness. I have this story of mine. It starts off a little weird, just to give you a little warning, but it gets to a point. So it starts off with when I was 20, uh, at the beginning of the summer, I had a hernia. And I got lucky. It was uh, in my upper pelvic region. It's one of the best places to get a hernia. But I had 13 weeks of summer camp in which I was a program director that I could not miss. So surgery just wasn't an option. And so I went through camp with this hernia, with my intestine bulging out sometimes, festering sometimes, hurting sometimes. And it it was painful, and it was uncomfortable. But I was able to deal with it for the 13 weeks. And the reality is is that the injury had been done, and I had a choice. I had a choice. I could live with it, and I could allow it to continue to fester like it was manageable, or I could go and I could get surgery. And at the end of camp season, I chose surgery. And the surgery was painful, not as painful as it could have been because of medicine. Thank God. But it was painful nonetheless. And in many ways, my intestine was reabsorbed into my body, and the stitches were put in. And in many places, this injury that was incurred was healed and forgiven. Like I said, I could have lived with it, and it could have festered, and it could have grown, and it could have gotten worse. And what it could have happened is it could have pinched in some way and gone gangrene, and I could have gotten really ill and possibly died. That was the worst case scenario. Every time I went to the doctor, like you got that hernia, you need to get it fixed because you could die. And I was like, whoa. But it's true. And when we walk in unforgiveness, it's like that. If you don't address this, if you don't take time to step into the pain and the hurt and the suffering and address it, it can kill you. It can destroy you. Or you can go through the surgery that forgiveness is and walk out healed with new life. Guess what? I can jump. I can run. I can lift. I can do everything that I was able to do before the injury. I've been healed. I've been transformed. I've been set free. And this is what forgiveness offers. This is what forgiveness is. And when I think about that, forgiveness isn't this place where we dismiss our debt, but it's this place where we, we become present to it. And we allow others to come and be healed and be transformed. And so when we go and we go and we forgive somebody, it, you better believe it hurts. I want to give you permission to allow it to hurt. There is crying, there is questioning, there is mourning. There is guilt to be named and measured, and there is a cost that must be absorbed. But there is also healing, and there is transformation, and there is freedom for you and for them. Now, I do want to take a moment and talk about Abuse. Because true forgiveness hurts, and true forgiveness does have a cost. And Jesus did say that we should forgive someone 70 times 7 times, which means that's a bunch of times that you should forgive someone. The problem is, is that we as the church have allowed and have encouraged people to stay in abusive relationships at times because of those verses and because of those realities around forgiveness. But I also want you to know that it's true that in the Bible that there's a proverb that says that the foolish person is like a dog who returns to his vomit. And that it's also true that you don't have to be there the next time when the fool in your life returns to his or her vomit. Amen? You don't have to stay. You don't have to be present to forgive. You don't have to be present to heal. In many ways, it might actually be healthy for you to remove yourself from the situation completely for you to actually be able to name the hurt, name the wrong, measure the cost and begin to absorb it and enter into what true forgiveness and healing looks like and it might never look like entering into that relationship ever again. And so if you are here this morning and you find yourself caught in the cycle of abuse because you believed in the forgive and forget model and you're forgiven and you're forgetting and you're forgiving and you're bearing and you're becoming numb and you find yourself in this place where you're like, I'm striving to be present, I'm being present, but you're being abused and you're being hurt and you're being taken advantage of. We want to know and we want to help you and we want to give you resources and we want to protect you. So let us know if that's happening because this is not how forgiveness should work. We have to be able to take a step back and process and name and measure and absorb. Just like surgery, I had to take a step back from my life. I had to go under the knife. I had to go under care at home. I had to rehab for a couple days. It's just turning a surgery. But man, it hurts. Surgery hurts. And I was 20. So if you know someone else that's older than 20 and they get surgery, believe that it hurts. And so does forgiveness. But there's healing and freedom on the other side. The last thing I want us to know about forgiveness is that it's unilateral. It's unilateral, that when we are forgiven, when our debt is named, when our cost is measured, when it is absorbed and canceled, guess what, there's nothing you can do about it. When somebody chooses to forgive you, there's nothing you get to do about it. And that's the beautiful thing about the forgiveness of the Father is that he has looked upon you, he has measured your cost, and he's like, don't worry, I've got it. I'm going to cover it, I'm going to absorb it. And the way I'm going to do that is through Jesus on the cross, through his suffering and through his death, we're going to take care of it, and we're going to forgive the world unilaterally. And you don't have to work to pay it back. And that's what true forgiveness looks like. And so when somebody forgives you, I mean, really forgives you. The way you live into that is by, one, acknowledging your guilt, and two, receiving the freedom and the restoration that they offer you. I know. I know that the acknowledgement of guilt is hard because we're so quickly to turn it into shame. Like, the enemy has got us cornered on this one, guys, and we have to break this today. We have to break this today where our guilt equals shame because it doesn't. But we have to be comfortable in our guilt and we have to name our guilt because without it being named and without it being measured, how could we ever know what we're being set free from? If if our guilt is not felt, if our guilt is not named, if it's not measured, how do we know what freedom is? It'd be really weird if you got a letter to show up in court one day and so you did, and the judge is like, You're forgiven. And you're like, What was that all about? I would like to know what I'm being forgiven of. I'd like to know why there was a need for forgiveness. I'd like to know why I needed to show up in court today. You know, there's all these questions that just go unknown when our guilt is not named. So know that there's freedom in naming your guilt. And that there's not the prison of shame on the other side. Instead, on the other side of the cross, there is freedom that's offered through Jesus. I love the story in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts <clears throat> just a second I need to find it. In the book of Acts, there are those in Jerusalem who have discovered that they're guilty for killing the Son of God. And that's a big deal. They found guilty of of killing the Son of God, of killing the Messiah. And they're like, oh no, what are we going to do? They're cut to the heart and they come to the disciples and they ask Peter and the apostles and they're like, what should we do for killing Jesus? Their guilt had been named and they're coming to ask to what measure they ought to repay. I mean, it seems reasonable. They've acknowledged their guilt and they're like, what do we owe? Is it a life for a life thing? Do we need to trade in our lives for his? And Peter meets them with the heart and the forgiveness of the father. And this is what he says to them. He says, repent, be transformed, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sin and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for all of your children who are far off. I mean, that is good news. That is good news. I don't know about you, but I've been like the men in Jerusalem. I've been like the men who have stared at the cross of Jesus and I have felt guilt and I have felt shame and the enemy has told me how accused I am and how condemned I am and how deserving for punishment I am and I'm not able to look up at the Father and see forgiveness. I'm not able to look up in those moments and feel freedom. It's in those moments where I don't take Jesus and God at his word. And maybe you've been there too, where you just look up and the cross is just a symbol of shame. Because the enemy's like, guess what? You nailed him there. Yes, you did that. And that's hard and weighty stuff. That's the stuff that the people in Jerusalem are weighing through. And Peter meets him with the Father's heart. And the Father's heart is, don't let that shame drive you away from me. Don't let the enemy steal away the most powerful symbol in the world that is the cross, my son. Do not let the enemy do that. You better believe the enemy wants to. You better believe that the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy the power of the cross before us. But the hope of the cross is that there's invitation, and that's what Peter invites them into. He says, come, repent, be transformed, receive the Holy Spirit, begin to walk in the forgiveness that God has given you. Know that your debt has been canceled, your shame has been removed. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. It is finished. Amen? It is finished. Forgiveness is unilateral. It is finished. And your debt has been absorbed. Your debt has been paid, and you've had nothing to do with it. But we get to receive. And that's what I want for us this morning, is I want for us to receive. I want for us to receive the forgiveness that Jesus gives us, the forgiveness that there's no condemnation, the forgiveness that leads us to transformation and new life, the forgiveness that fills us with hope and joy and peace. I love the verse in Romans that says, because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us, we are at peace with God. The war is over. It is finished, and it is done. And it did not cost you a drop of your own blood. Are you ready to live into that reality this morning? Are you ready to live into the heart of the Father, where he says, you are forgiven. And may you go and share my forgiveness with others. Are you ready to take him at his word? Are you ready to believe that it is finished and that he has done it? I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. And as we've gone through this series, we've been kind of rewriting prayers so that we would hear the Father's heart around each idea of provision, of God's kingdom, of God's love, For us, And I want us to hear God's heart and for him to pray this prayer of forgiveness over us so that we might walk in newness of life and forgiveness and freedom this morning. That we would be healed, that we'd be transformed, that we would know what that is so that we could give it away because the world needs it. The world needs it. The world needs to be done with this forgive and forget business and we need to begin to enter into true forgiveness and true restoration and true reconciliation with one another. Amen? Because there is where healing can take place. The prayer of the Father. Look up, child, and know my love for you. I have sent my spirit to convict you of your sin, for you to be transformed and know that it is good. Know that I have looked upon your guilt and I have measured it. And look up, child, and feel no shame. For I have absorbed your guilt and I have chosen not to count it against you. Your sin has been cast into the sea. It has been cast as far as the east is from the west from my sight. Look up, child, and receive from me Receive the work of transformation that I've begun in you. And know that I will bring it to perfect completion. Look up, child, and receive the unilateral freedom from your guilt and from your shame. And look out, child, and see my people and do the same. Look up, child. And know that you are forgiven. On the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he gave thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sin."